Hi, my name is Martin Nutty, and the grandly titled Nutty Chronicles is an episodic history of my family. The people featured in these stories will not appear in history books recounting the lives of the great and important. Rather, this is the story about a family of modest circumstances, which I hope will provide a window into an Irish past rarely visited. I've combined anecdotes, genealogical sources, and broader history to give a sense of the lives my family lived and experienced over the last two centuries. In keeping with the family theme, the music provided in these episodes was created by my niece, Rosa Nutty. For more on Rosa and her music, please visit rosanutty.com. I'd also like to thank my cousin, Doreen Conroy, for her insight on the family history. I hope you enjoy and thank you for listening. And now, without further ado, The Nutty Chronicles. my Irish family. My nine-year-old mind sensed something amiss when a bright blue boat turned and took a direct line to us. Maybe it was because the three men in the boat had no fishing rods on a lake where that was the only meaningful thing to do, and normally such men would be trolling for the big lumpers of trout which inhabited the deeper sections of the water. On that bright, beautiful day in August 1973, a colleague of my dad, who had introduced him to the superlative trout fishing in Loch Mask, had tracked us down to tell us that Da, Frederick Nutty, my grandfather, had passed away. I have no recollection of my dad's reaction to the news. There was no slumping of shoulders nor apparent sorrow emanating from him, as we fired up the outboard motor to return to our Cushlock Bay campsite. I don't remember if there was any regret in our talk as we dismantled the tent, packed up our gear, and loaded the Austin's roof rack and trunk, nor as we made the 180-mile trip back to Malahide, do I remember any nostalgia or sense of grief. All of this was entirely normal in my family. My dad had been old and fading the prior few years, so while it was sad, it was not a surprise. I had no doubt that some of the older folks at the funeral would soon be nodding knowingly as they murmured about a merciful release. Fortunately, my dad was not given to these kind of unctuous platitudes. He had a full-throttled lust for life, and such talk would have been ludicrous to him, whether his own father was involved or not. The truth was that all I'd ever known was an unspoken distance between my dad and Da. By the time I had become aware of Da, he was already slipping away into some version of dementia. There was whispered talk of hardening of the arteries. I remember him with his head of thick iron brillo-pad hair, 
sitting quietly in a corner chair, his mouth slightly agape, as the conversation, dominated by my nana, swirled by his unregistering face. Now, over 46 years later, I wonder at this distance. I remember my mother giving my dad the occasional bollocking for failing to visit his parents in Dunleary, where they lived in a granny flat at my Uncle Bob's place. One time she had told him that he didn't know how lucky he was to still have a mother and father. She had lost her mother nine days after she was born, and had virtually lost contact with her father when she was turned over to be raised by her maternal grandparents. While my mom yearned for her unknown mother, my dad sought to avoid his. My nana, Emily Bean, was a formidable, short, square-figured matriarch who filled up the room with tales of her IRA rebel family's life. Like her stalwart brothers who had fought to free Ireland from the English yoke, she was forceful in her opinions and would leverage some of the same guerrilla tactics if necessary, to maintain her unchallenged rule of the home. By all accounts, gentle, quiet da was no match for her. Nana instinctively understood that control of the purse strings was fundamental to dominance. At the end of every week, all earners in the nutty household surrendered their wage packets to her, and she distributed and disposed of them as she saw fit. Knowing my dad... I imagine he found this level of control to be intolerable. I expect when he reached early adulthood and the opportunity presented, he fled, never to return and live under tyranny. However, his wariness of and fealty to matrilineal autocracy never left him. And once, late in Anna's life, when she was enfeebled by age, my father made light of her devotion to the Third Order of St. Francis. In a nanosecond, she sloughed off fifty years and turned on him, sharply commanding him to repeat what he'd said, while signaling the countenance of no such repetition. Shockingly, my dominant dad backed down, cowed, a momentary child under the onslaught of an angry parent. Attempting to say face later, he dryly remarked how the old bird's hearing was better than I expected. I did not get to go to Da's funeral, which was a disappointment. I'm not sure what rationale was behind that decision, or even if I was a consideration. From my perspective, it was a missed opportunity to observe distant quasi-legendary relatives in one of their native habitats the big Irish funeral. There would have been sandwiches and red lemonade after the body was in the ground too. At this point in my life, I had only truly mercenary interests. And there would have been the opportunity to visit with cousins rarely sighted due to my father's extended family wariness. All this I missed. But shortly after the funeral, my father packed us up again and back we went to Loch Mask to resume our fishing trip. The funeral, however, seemed to hover over us, unspoken, seemingly scolding, and suppressing any joy that might have been had on the beautiful, watery, limestone wilderness 
that was Loch Mask. Nobody who knew my da before his decline had an unkind word to say, which makes my dad's seemingly ambivalence at his death more perplexing. Could it have been simply that my dad lost respect for a father dominated by his wife? Such a state of affairs would not have been that rare, but in patrilineal Ireland it would have been considered shameful in the smoke-fogged male pub bastions. I will never know the precise truth, but now, all these years later, I feel an obligation to the memory of Da, his family, and those who came before, to retell their history in an imperfect way, so that those that follow may know something of their struggles, and without which I would not exist. You've been listening to The Nutty Chronicles. The next episode, Canicide and a Dog Named Tozer, will continue the focus on the fraught relationship between my father and his parents. My name is Martin Nutty, and I hope you enjoyed the podcast. <laughs>